why the hell does he want to interview me? <laughs> oh, man, come on. Yeah, for real. Cool, man. Thanks for checking them out. Oh, man. They're, they're, they're great, man. They're really... Like I said, they're really, really informative. And it's not really very often that musicians talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Usually, musicians' interactions are like, so who you listening to? Who you checking out? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, yeah, man, sounds killing. Yeah. You know, but it's not really, you don't really get too much in depth with musicians about their processes mm-hmm. and like artistically what they think about and what inspires them and um, what doesn't inspire them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> get to other people's opinions and you know it's 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 really really enlightening and these and, and a lot of these people people that i played with and i didn't know anything about <laughs> <laughs> beyond the gig or like you know you know maybe some personal stuff that they're thinking of that they're dealing with while they're on the road mm. but you know aside from that you know we don't really get the musicians don't talk about music on the road mm-hmm. they don't really talk about each other's process you know yeah well, I mean, maybe it's, it's different for everybody, but because this is why I started the interviews, because always when I'm on tour with somebody, I I will ask them a lot of questions about how they do stuff, because I need to know, you know, I I, I really need, I, I'm really interested in the in the process, and so, but I but I I I'm with you on the observation that sometimes people think it's maybe not cool to share it, or it's kind of you're giving something away or something, or I don't know. I mean, sometimes people have that mentality of like, oh, well, I'm going to cover my hands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want nobody to see or nobody to know what I'm dealing with because maybe what they may think of my process is that it may be half-ass. Mm-hmm. Or they may think that, you know, I'm maybe am imposing my ideas on someone else. You know what I mean? And yeah. the last thing another artist wants is, a, is, is an artist to look at them and to do exactly what they're doing and come out with the same results. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. So that's that, whole, that's that whole pride factor sometimes. Sometimes it's a whole people just not really being interested in talking about that. Like I've been on the road with some people, I would ask them and they'd be like, man, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about something else. You like know. Who, like who's, who's like that? Well... Roy Hargrove was somebody that never really revealed his process. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. So no, he he never like we would never ever talk about you know what he was working on or what he practiced. I'd be mm-hmm. like, man, so like how how if you go up to Roy and you ask him, man, so how did you so what was your process and like how you developed this song or how you developed that song? So, I don't know, man. I just heard it and wrote it down, you know. <laughs> Or like, I don't remember how that happened. I just remember like certain gigs and certain people and certain things that I got from them. Mm. And I applied it on a bandstand. Mm. You know, he just never, he never really revealed. I mean, if you play a record for him, he knew what the record was and he, he'd sing solos. But outside of that, he doesn't really have, he didn't really have a big harmonic concept, <laughs> at least to my knowledge. I mean, I yeah. knew he liked, I know I knew he liked uh, sharp 11s, major sharp 11 chords. Yep. And I know he liked black chords, but and he loved ballads. 
what you know block cards okay yeah block cards yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like he never really man you man check out this harmony i figured out man and it, it was never really like that how about yeah. i mean were there some moments where you had some questions about a tune that he wanted you to play and you would ask him for advice on that tune maybe like that um no um it was kind of like well roy wasn't roy roy didn't really like to talk a whole lot mm. so when a typical I, i'll start like this a typical sound check with roy would be like here he would be on the piano and he'd be playing something he'd be like hey sully come here and he'd play it one time he'd be like you got it and i'd be like no so all right one more time <laughs> and i play it one more time He's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then he'd walk off. And then it was kind of like my responsibility to show it to Amin, the bass player. Yeah. He would sing the drum groove, and then he would play the alto line for Justin. And pretty much after that, he probably wouldn't call the tune for like another month. Wow. So he kind of left it up to us to kind of have the tune marinating in our head and kind of mm -hmm. deciphering and dissecting kind of like what was important and what wasn't so that when it was time to call it, he would just call it and just, he would just start playing the melody and look at us. Like we, we, we played it already. You got it. It's like, okay. So wow. we, so kind of up to up for memory. And, um, After we'd be like, man, I could not remember that part. He was like, good. You played it exactly the way I wrote it, the way I <laughs> wanted it to be played. And I guess what I got from that is, one, he liked to hear people fight in his band. He liked that sound of, of struggle in the music. Yeah. And he liked, he, liked the, he liked the energy that came about us trying to figure out what it was and what was going on in his head. Um... But outside of that, man, <laughs> it wasn't really a whole, whole lot. He gave me a couple things. Like, I would ask him about ballads. I remember one time asking him about ballads. And then he went off on this tangent with me, just got really upset. And he was like, I need you to have 20 different endings to a ballad. At mm. least 20 different endings to a ballad. And I remember him saying, also, you count your ballads off too slow. When I tell you to set up a ballad, set it up at the right tempo. Okay. And I was like, well, what's the right tempo? And he said, dance tempo. Hmm. And I was like, well, a dance tempo could be really, really slow. Like I kind of said, don't be smart. Dance tempo. <laughs> And then that was it. Those are the only two lectures I ever got from them seven years of Roy. We're playing with Roy. Wow, man. After that, it was just modeling, just trying to find his sweet spots when he was when I would count behind him. And I would tell by his body language if he liked what I was doing. Mm. You know what I mean? So it kind yeah. of, the way he taught was very, it was much more about how he was playing and less about what he was playing. Mm. So do you take that approach sometimes um, then when you go about leading your bands? Do you kind of... Yeah. I do. I, I think a lot about 
I, I just think a lot about I think a lot about body language. Mm. And I think about how can you say something or not say something, but communicate something that's so direct and clear that everybody understands what it is that you're trying to tell them. Like the audience or the band members? The band members. Mm. Because Roy didn't, like I said, he didn't really say much. He wouldn't even call. He wouldn't even tell us what tune we were playing. Mm. He would just get on the bandstand, pick up his horn, and start counting off. And it was kind of up to us to figure out what tune it was. You know, um, we've never, we never had, we only had two rehearsals. I remember having two rehearsals with Roy. And it was usually, everything else was sound checks, but like, rehearsals would be like master classes. If they called Roy to do a master class for a bunch of students, he would just rehearse his band in front of everybody and just be like, <laughs> any questions? You know? <laughs> you know? And everything was everything was oral. He didn't really believe in a whole lot of sheet music. Yeah. Um, he didn't, and he didn't really believe in having everything notated or mm -hmm. annotated. And he was open to how we played it or how we interpreted it. He would just go for the ride. Mm. He wouldn't be like, no, that chord, that, that right there is wrong, unless it was a ballad or a standard. Mm. But his original compositions, we could kind of do whatever it was we wanted to do with it, as long mm. as the melody was still clear. You know, he was totally up for reharms. He really loved it when we reharmed behind him. Mm. <laughs> he was just up for grabs, you know. He so so his tunes must have must have evolved over the years quite a bit, right? It definitely evolved over the years. Um his tunes evolved. Uh, even the standards and how we play them, you know, really evolved, you know. Certain hits that we did would would just kind of just happen over gigs. Yeah. You know, over time over gigs. Or he'll turn around and it'd be like, I like that. Like I I would comp a figure and he'd be like, I like that. And he would incorporate it in his solo, hmm. and that would become a hit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that happens in bands if they stay long enough together, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that I, I I feel like nowadays that's really something that we need more of hmm. is just bands. Yeah. More bands and more 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 opportunities to be able to workshop music. Mm -hmm. No. Because a lot of these one-off gigs or these all-star gigs are just like, okay, we'll do a one-off and then I won't play with this person ever again. You never really get to develop a language with people. Yeah. No. And honestly, I feel like that's how the language of this music kind of expanded. Mm. You know, the vocabulary and the language of this music is bands. It comes from a band. It doesn't come mm. from a solo. It comes from a band. Yeah, it's true. So, so that's one thing I feel like there's, there, there are a few bands that are out and people, I mean, and I'm talking about bands that have been together longer than five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's very, very rare that you'll find that nowadays. It's kind of like a lost, lost art. And maybe it's because of the business a little bit, you know, kind of the press mm -hmm. or the, the uh, industry kind of um, expects you to come up with something new each two years. And this is why people get scared and then be like, oh, shit, I have to do a new project now. And now I'm gonna, just going to play, you know, uh, music of the 80s or something and just have a weird motto, you know. 
and <laughs> and this will make the industry then be interested you know as yeah. opposed to just I'll just keep working with the band and and uh, come up with new material for them especially but or even not new material but de develop through playing yeah i mean shit how many times did bill evans record foolish heart or mm. michael mans or yeah. Walsh for Dead. I mean, he. I mean, he kind of kept the same tunes on rotation for like twenty, thirty years. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And that that's important. You know. I mean, he might have changed rhythm sections, but at least the tunes were the same. And then, I mean, and when he had a rhythm section, he had it for a while. For a while, yes. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really think that that's. I, I I wish I had the guts to do that. You know. And I would like to, you know, I would like to keep my band for a while, but, you know, nowadays, like you said, the business-wise and, and gigs are so few and far between, mm. especially now with the coronavirus, we don't know yeah. when we're going to go to work, you know, yep. and everybody's so hooked on trying to help you develop or establish your career as a pianist mm -hmm. or as a leader, you know what I mean? Yeah. They want to see you, and they have in mind they want to see you with specific people. You know what I mean? Do you feel like, that pressure? Oh gosh, consistently. Yeah. All the time, all the time, mm -hmm. being told who I should play with, what I should play, mm -hmm. how I should play. Wow. Um, yeah, like, all of that is. Do you get that from the industry more, or for, or from people that have just. Or have opinions about you? Uh, a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was definitely, you know, the, the 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 because of the school system, I was constantly looking for that. I think jazz school, in a way, kind of ruined that. <laughs> uh -huh. That whole idea of what do you think, Sullivan? What is it that you're gonna bring? So no, it's always about what the teacher wants me to do. Did I do this right? You'd be like, okay, cool. You impress the teacher. Then when you're a side man, you're trying to improve, impress the leader. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And then when you become a leader, it's like everybody's looking at you and be like, okay, what's your artistic vision? And then you got, yeah, then yeah, you yeah. got the things that you have to fulfill. So you're thinking about your teachers. You're thinking about your previous leaders. And then you're thinking about the industry. And, what, and they're telling you like what sells, what you should play, what you shouldn't play, who you should be playing with. You know what I mean? This this person not liking this person. I want to play with this person. Yeah, but this drummer doesn't like this bass player. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, this bass player doesn't like this producer, so you shouldn't record here at this studio because I don't like this studio. And it's just like, but I like the piano. I don't care what you like. You know what I mean? <laughs> Say, but it's my record. I don't care. Well, then you got to get somebody else that's going to bend to you. Or, mm. or the, I want to play with this person. Okay, $10,000 a tune. I said, well, I don't have that kind of money. I said, well... <laughs> You know, it's just all kinds of, all kinds of things, mm. you know. So in a perfect world, how, how would it be for you? In a perfect world, everybody would just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and it, basically, if you hire somebody, you hire them because they're them. You know, and you, and that, and, and, and fortunately, I've been in situations where it was like that. You know, people have hired me because I was me. 
or I was trying to be me, or I was trying to figure out who I was, and they liked, mm-hmm. they liked, you know, that process. That process. Yeah. yeah, and they wanted to be a part of it. You know what I mean? So in an ideal world, people would be more encouraging. It would be a lot less, you know, shit talking. Yeah, opinionated. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got to have an opinion right now, right? You know. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I feel like um, your your association with uh, Cecile is uh, is already one of those uh, great you know combinations, great bands uh, where where music is being workshopped and being worked on, and a repertoire is being built over over a longer pe- period of time. You know, mm-hmm. and this is really something that I'm interested in because I just love the way you guys make music together and I'm, I'm wondering how it seems very much in the moment uh, not just the playing but everything <laughs> you know uh, in terms of I'm sure there's not really a set list um, there's moments where I see you guys asking each other what now and you might play something and then uh, it's not really clear sometimes Uh, where you're going and that's a nice situation because then you see how much she's in the moment dealing with that and then uh, what I what I love about you guys is your honesty um, about these more especially these moments like you Mm -hmm. start a song and you're being perfectly clear about what you're doing but still there's some room for mystery about which song you're going to play you know And then sometimes where she's like, I don't know what you're playing or something, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or she's even, she's even, um, Cecilia's even saying, I don't remember the, the lyrics right now. Can you help me out with the lyrics? I love this honesty and this, because in that moment, what happens is I'm not, I'm not in a concert situation. I'm sitting in your living room in a way. And I feel very invited Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, is this something that comes just naturally through the two of you b- being together? Or is it something that you talked about that you want to have as a as an effect on your listener or, an, on your, or the people that you play for? Uh, it kind of, I think it's something that might have just happened accidentally. Um, I'm the type of person I don't do I, I don't I don't really think I do well under pressure. Mm. If it's too programmed and it's too fixed and it's too sterile, mm-hmm. I don't really do well with that. It doesn't mm-hmm. really it really doesn't sit with me very well. I, I will get I get extremely bored. I'd probably fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really would. You know what I mean? Um, I would get, I would, I, I would get very, I would, I would get very uncomfortable if there wasn't any room for expression, and if there wasn't any room for like surprise. And my favorite recordings, my favorite concerts my favorite musicians, there's always that element where it's like, 
what are they doing? <laughs> I think, and actually, and honestly, that's what attracted me to jazz in the beginning. Hmm. The not knowing mystery. Not the not knowing, the not knowing, and and feeling that same not knowing every time you listen to it. Yeah. Like it, it never ceases to amaze me how many times I've listened to Errol Gardner's concert by the sea. And every time I hear it, those intros surprise the hell out of me. Yes. I could have transcribed it. I wrote that shit out. I could have, you know, played it. And every time I hear it, it's still that shocking element. I just listened to it before this interview, actually. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the same thing. And it's that same element with, with Charlie Parker and the same element with Bud Powell it's, it, and, and Art Tatum and, and, and Lester Young and... It's that element of surprise, and it's that room that's there. It's that, it's that, it's just, it's like the, a vacuum that's there. Mm. The way it's just like the music, they're just like, it's being composed as you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and one day I remember sitting with Cecile and talking to her about that. She was like, oh my God, I love that too. And I wonder why jazz musicians don't do it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. If we're supposed to be the improvisers, why aren't we... I mean, we think of that word improvising and we think, okay, we're, we're making things up as we go. So, no, we're actually composing as we go. We're not making something up. We're composing as we go. So everything has to have a thread. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, if if we're composing as we go, that means that things for us even have to be revealed as we're playing it based on old material that we've used with, you know what I'm saying? It's like a tape that's keep that goes and goes and goes a movie or a set or whatever. Mm. So like, why don't we play like that? Why don't we devise our sets like that? Roy had that. Roy did that beautifully where it would be like, be almost like a DJ would like yeah. mix you know what I mean? And the, the, like a, the arc would kind of like develop. Like he would be like, okay, we're going to start with this song. This song reminds me of this song. Okay, so we'll go here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just thought like one day she decided to call it to and I would play something completely different. And she'd be like, that ain't what I called. I said, <laughs> I know. And then she'd be like, but this is better. Let's do that one. I was like, okay. And then from that moment, like a certain type of trust kind of developed between mm. us. Where it was like, okay. And then we would play games with each other. Like when we were on the gigs, it would be like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to play the alphabet game. I remember this <laughs> very well. We're going to start with the letter J. And we have to play a song from our list that starts with the letter J. And so we go from the alphabet from that J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Yep. So all our tunes had to start with those letters, whatever it was in any style. If we need a ballad, that's how we play it. If nice. we need an up-tempo, that's how we play it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for some reason, it kind of kept us on edge. Mm -hmm. And keeping us on edge kept the audience on edge. Mm. Us being surprised kept the audience surprised. And, and, you know, nowadays I feel like we're so attracted to drama and conflict that if there is a disagreement, it's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, 
we'll play something and be like, I don't know what the hell that is. And the audience <laughs> loves it. <you. laughs> yeah. Or she'll sing something I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it blank and she'll sit there and look at me and vibe me the whole time. And the audience <laughs> loves it. The audience is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how how do you decide on on uh, um, like you're talking about the list? So is there a list of tunes, and there's something that's outside of the list that just keeps coming in the moment, where mm -hmm. you decide, okay, let's just do this. But how who decides on key? I do. <laughs> and she, I just, she just go with it. Yeah, I mean, but the deal is, Cecile's. Cecile's range in particular, particular is very, very wide. Mm -hmm. There's some kind well, of Bobby McFerrin thing going on in the way. Right. She has, <laughs> she has a, she has a wide range that that she doesn't let on. Yeah. But I tend to have an, enough knowledge of her voice and to know where she sits comfortably, mm -hmm. where it's not too much of a screech. So. There'd be times where she'd be like, let's just play this song. Be like, what key you singing in? It's like, I don't know. So I would I would kind of think, okay, where does it sit good in her voice? Mm. And I'll just play it in that key. And she'll be like, she'll look at me and she'll be like, higher. And be like, all right, I'll just raise it up a step. You know, like midway through the tune. She'll start it. And then she'll be like, look at me. And she'll be like, all right, <laughs> move it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. There'll be times where I kind of get it spot on, and she's like, "That's a good key. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Remember mm -hmm. that key." Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Wow. And the, I mean, if we talk about the list, it seems to me that the the uh, the repertoire is is growing, and and uh, evolving. Um, yeah. And it seems to me there there are a lot of songs in there. Um, about a hundred. That's maybe a lot a little, of songs. It may be a little bit more. And that's that's like a list that we've kind of compiled of songs that she does with her quartet too, with, with Aaron Deal and Paul Sakivi yeah. and, you know, either the late great Lawrence Leathers or Kyle Poole. Yeah. And then there's some songs that, you know, we she's kind of given me over the years to listen to, mm -hmm. you know. But you know that's kind of like a general list, and 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 a lot of those a lot of those songs we actually do play. I kind of make a piano arrangement of quartet stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Yeah. You know. So, but yeah. um, um, I I suppose a, a very little amount of those pieces started out with you reading a sheet. Uh, none of them did. Yeah. I think that's probably why my reading is going down the crap because <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I don't really a, a majority of the gigs that I get called for I don't read. Mm. It's like um, okay, listen to these tracks. We're gonna play it. no sheet music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or these yeah. are the list of standards. Learn them by this time. You know what yeah. I mean? Very, very rare that I get called for gigs where I actually have to read mm -hmm. music. And even then, by the third gig, I'm not really reading anymore. Yeah. You know, I kind of know where I sit and where I should, certain things I should play is already kind of inside of me. So, 
mm. I'm not paying any charge. Can you elaborate yeah. on how you internalize? Um, let's start with from sheet music, how you internalize that? <clears throat> um, the first thing I do is I try to internalize the melody first. You know, as much of the melody as I can. If the bass player is kind of covering the roots, which in general, that's what's happening. And there's a horn player that's internal, like, kind of like covering the melody and I have to double it, then I have to learn the melody. Yeah. But I also get to choose at liberty which parts I want to play. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of cheat. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, over time, if I learn like a good four bars are the most important, by the second gig, that four bars has become eight bars. Yeah. And then, and then so forth and so on. It grows from there to the point mm. where you have it all memorized and you're able to sing it. And if you can sing it, you can play it, basically. Yeah. That's like my motto. Um, the other part of it is memorizing root motion. Mm. So for like a tune that Roy would write, if there was a sheet, which was like big band music, I would memorize the the root motion for the solos because that's the, pretty much the only part I, you, you're supposed to play in big bands. Unless it's written out for a specific piano part, you don't really need to play anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I would, I would memorize the root motion of the bass and use the melody, if there is a melody there, as like a determinant if it's major, minor, augmented, whatever right. kind of quality it is and just voice based off that hmm. but i try to i try to latch on to either melody or root motion and even a lyric would help yeah you know, the lyrics definitely help me memorize hmm. mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of your model also if you could then go like learn a learn a, a tune like a standard yeah i, I go yeah for a standard i'll learn I'll check out a. I'll go to a the most original recording of it that I possibly could find. Yep. And then from there I'll go and listen to the to the most modern, the most awkward version of the song that I that I, I like. I just learned why did I choose you? Hmm. And I learned it. I heard Barbara Streisand sing it. I heard uh, a version of George Shearing play it. I heard a version of uh, Marvin Gaye sing it, you know, <laughs> you know, and yeah, the, the, having all of these different versions also helped of uh, Shirley Horn, you yeah. know, having all of these different versions also give me perspective. It's a message of the song, the lyrics yeah. of the song, different fields and different places where they stretch, you know, you know. You know, I always think of it like um, in school, uh, not in music school, but in the school where we learned the alphabet and stuff. Uh, we had mm -hmm. over overhead projectors. Yeah. You know what I mean? And oh yeah. You have you have the see-through sheets. Yeah. And I I do I do it the same way with the standards like you do. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I felt after a while it came to me like learning a standard that way is like having various sheets see-through sheets on an overhead projector of scribbled things of the yeah. same somebody is drawing a portrait of somebody and you have them stacked on top of each other and after yeah. a while you see something that comes through which is the core of the song 
and everything yeah. that's around it is embellishment and arrangement and and personal view of a song but what comes through is then you get closer to, to the core of the, the the basic structure of the song yeah for sure for sure you know and there's some people that you can that you can learn like an overall skeleton of it yeah and then there's some people that go into like specifics a little bit more than others mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. But I like that analogy of, of the of the see through paper. That's 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 really, really hip. That's really, really hip way of looking at it. Hmm. I usually I usually gravitate towards uh, Frank Sinatra pretty soon because he'll sing the melody more or less like it is. And he yeah. has and he has great arrangements uh, and great arrangers all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, Nat's also a good one. Yeah, sure. Was good. Yeah. Seems like the male singers do do a really good job at sticking to the melody. <laughs> yeah, I like I like Peggy Lee. You know Peggy Lee. Peggy's great. Peggy's good. Ella's good with yep. songbook stuff. She's really good with that. True. Um, yeah. Mhm. Billie Holiday is kind of tricky. <laughs> You know, Billy is tricky, but Billy will give you, Billy will give you the meaning of the lyrics. That's what, yeah, the the, the vibe and yeah, Billie, totally. Billy will give you a vibe. Yeah. Billy will give you a vibe, and she'll sing a melody. She'll sing the melody right. Generally, yeah, you get the. <laughs> it seems like some people. It seems like there's some people who decorate the melody, but you still get an idea. Yeah. You still have an idea of what that melody is at that point. Yeah. Like like Sarah will decorate the hell out of a melody. Yes. But you still know you know, you can still hear it through it. You yeah. know what I mean? Through I all read, the an in, read an interview of Fred Hirsch and he was talking about um Ama Jamal. Mm-hmm. And he would say, you know, you would hear the melody even if Ama doesn't 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 play it, you know. You would still yeah. hear it. That's right. That's, that's, a mis- right. that's a mystery right there, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. To know what to leave out to give you that same sensation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Deep, man. Mm-hmm. So um, are there certain moments where um, she will, still talking about Cecile, uh, um she will give you any advice or notes in terms of how she would like to be come for or, or um, s- certain things that she would like to try on a song? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm asking was... very quick, carefully because I'm trying to map out how, how you guys are working, you know? Um, no. Um, she has never, ever told me how to count for her, yeah. what to play and how to play behind her. Um, she'll tell me if, she'll like ask me, like, why did I choose that chord there? The actual chord is this one. Hmm. And usually our response will be because I didn't know that that's what that chord was. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had forgotten what it was at the point, yep. you know, especially on some of her original songs that I don't, hmm. that he only kind of showed me like, kind of like, sparingly 
yeah. you know, play it. And I'm like, I don't remember this part, so I kind of played this as an emergency. He said, well, it worked, but that's not what I wrote. Yeah. But outside of that, as far as what to do rhythmically, styles and feels and chord choices and density and all that stuff, no, she she's never told me anything. She kind of left that completely up to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's freeing. It's, it's, it's yeah. very, very freeing now i've had i've had the opposite extreme mm-hmm. you know and uh how did that feel it felt good because the way it was articulated to me was clear that i understood what they were saying i don't mind when i'm told how to count behind them mm-hmm what I what I do mind is people saying that they don't like what I'm doing, but they don't have any ideas yeah. as to how as to what I can do to help. Yeah. You know what I mean? Other than nah, that's that sucks. It's, yeah, it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that doesn't really take anybody anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? You even know what I mean? Even them, it doesn't take them anywhere. Yeah. No, it really doesn't, and it kind of yeah. lets. It, it does everybody a disservice. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm totally, I'm the type of person that if you, if you hear something that I'm not doing that it would help, and it's in my power, power to change, I'll do it, whatever it is. Mm. You know, or I'll investigate it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm asking because of um, how you come behind her and what, you know, all the stuff that you're doing behind her, it's not even behind her. You know, the the word behind her is, is completely wrong. Now when I say it out loud, it feels wrong because you're dancing around her, you're you're doing all kinds of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and she seems to be so secure and so, and secure not in a lame sense, you know, in a very exciting sense. Uh, mm-hmm. She seems to be so with you all the time and you with her that there's no question. Yeah, um, I never, I was never really a fan of comping as a sense of supplying a background mm. or like a car, like a, like a red carpet for somebody to, to walk on. Mm. Um, I always look at accompaniment almost like the way we look at concertos. Like, you know, yeah. where like there's like not necessarily a fight, but it gives you that idea yeah. of like, okay, this is a piano against an orchestra. Or here's a violin <laughs> against an orchestra. Yep. But there's still a conversational type of thing that's happening. And it's not it's not it's not really the orchestra supplying like a like a palette for the yeah. violin or the whatever to flow on top of. Although it can fall into that check texture sometimes. Mm. Um, I never looked at myself as an accompaniment and uh, as an accompaniment as much as I am as a partner with somebody. Yeah. And probably that's probably the reason why I don't get called very much to do. <laughs> <laughs> they're scared man they're scared but um yeah i just look at myself as 
just the other like another like another character in the story. Yeah. A supporting like a supporting role but with with substance and with mm-hmm. uh with 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 weight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know conversation, you know, to me is what we do. And I think that's the art of the music too. I think that's definitely the art. Like you don't look at Tony Williams as an accompaniment to Miles Davis. Nope. <laughs> For sure not. No. You know, yeah. you, know that you look at uh, uh, like or um, Sky Lafaro as a accompaniment to Bill Evans. No, yes. that that you know that that. It's it's a, it's an equal partnership that's there, mm. and I think even Bill Evans I think set up that trio to where the bass player kind of carried weight in that band. He kind of centered his band around the bass player, you know, mm. as opposed to like Miles who centered his band around the drums. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so it's like a, you know, so I I feel like the rhythm section should have equal partnership with the soloist. Yeah, to where. The soloist is an accompaniment for the rhythm section, and the rhythm section is an accompaniment for the soloist. Yeah. To the point where you can't tell who's soloing. It's just like one big sound. You know. That's great. Yeah. That's how it sounds when you guys are playing together. Playing. Well, thank you. Working you on. You know that that word playing actually. Um, <laughs> when I, I love you know when when I yeah. think of your playing. Uh, You at the piano, that's playing to me. Not playing an instrument, but playing even like a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, also that's connected to something which I'm also wondering about. You seem, it seems to me like you're not worrying. You're not scared. And uh, that's, uh, that comes across as being very much in the moment. And um, yeah, how... How important is that to you? Well, that's Being in funny. the moment, and how it's do you fun- get there? It's funny that you say I, I I have this I don't care thing because if you was if you read what was inside my mind, you think that I was absolutely crazy. Uh, because <laughs> I, in my mind, I'm not doing I'm doing everything but playing and having fun. <laughs> wow. That's that. That's that. I mean, and we all go through it. That that other voice that you sure, gotta. Yeah. You know, yeah. that you got to silence while you're playing and even after you're playing sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Most of the time, anyway, for me. But um, I think my idea behind the whole playing thing is... The way I was taught about music and the way I was taught even about practicing, it wasn't even practicing as much as it was experimenting. You know? Yeah. Experimenting with with something as small as hand positioning or, or experimenting or, you know, with legato lines or experimenting with attack or experimenting with dynamics or experiment you know what I mean? I never really looked at practicing as practicing. Yeah, me too. You know I don't what I mean? have the discipline. I don't have the I discipline. 
I just don't have that type of. Yeah. I don't. I really don't. I'm kind of half-assed in that way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. If I don't, if I don't have fun at all, I, I, I lose. I lose interest, and it becomes boring, and I may as well just stop playing. Okay, um, so now I have a I have a question on top of that question. Sorry for interrupting, because no, fine. when you talk about that, I I hear myself. You know, I hear my my problem in a way. You know, because I I never had any problem with um, dealing with music for several hours without stopping. You know, mm -hmm. but if I had to practice something, man, it's tough. It's tough for me. Yeah, yeah. And people would ask me what do you practice and i'm like yeah i don't i don't really practice because actually i even have a problem calling it that you know I, because then once it starts to feel like work it's it's off for me but mm -hmm. um a general problem that i have outside of music and sometimes even in music is you know uh, a big topic for me is patience and i'm wondering you know How about you, man? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just now learning the value of patience because in the beginnings of me studying music and going to school and, and doing all that, I was always one to bite off more than I could chew. Mm -hmm. It's about how fast you can get everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... Maybe in the last 10 years, man, I, I really, maybe it took me going to, to, to master's, get my master's degree at Manhattan School. And them telling me, it's like, look, man, <laughs> you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to bite off. You don't have to try to digest so much right now. It's okay to have, it's okay to take on little chunks. Yeah. If I can... Like right now, I'm working on uh, Rachmaninoff Etude hmm. uh, in, in B minor, and rather than trying to learn the whole Etude and say, "Okay, I'm gonna get this whole Etude in two days," <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're not gonna get anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I said, "Okay, why not say I'm gonna spend a full week and just learn eight bars of this thing?" Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally, yeah. And just get eight bars at, at like a, and set a tempo and set a pace and go. And then and then from there, like saying, okay. And what that does when you have patience with it, you find yourself not having to go back. Yeah. Re and try to redigest something that you might have missed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That if you if the the more you spend time paying attention to details you get a lot forever yes you know what i mean totally and i'm just now like starting to realize that damn if i would have just slowed it down slowed it all the way down and just worked with small itty bitty things that you can you can find the world in so little yeah true you know what i mean mm-hmm And a lot of times it's not about this. Sometimes yeah. it's just about this. Yeah. Duke Ellington, man, Duke Ellington played like would play like a triad. <laughs> and it it would sound so big and so strong. 
yeah. so much stronger than these 12 note cards that we play all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he, he understood that it was like, damn, patience and little, little things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And being slow and not being afraid to be slow and leaving space and not being afraid to leave space. Yeah. You know, that's and that's my topic. It's a hard topic, man. It's a hard topic. Yeah, totally. Because our minds as piano players, this is 400 years of piano literature that we're talking about. Mm. And through all these different traditions, and piano players, in my opinion, are some of the most paranoid schizophrenic people I've ever <laughs> met in my life. <laughs> we, we're also, we're always paranoid. We're just so paranoid. We got so many voices going on in our heads. We got, mm -hmm. you know, what I mean? yeah. we got, okay, okay, now we got to, okay, Oscar Peterson, Phineas Newborn, double hand octaves, Errol Gardner, <laughs> stabbing octaves with the right hand, with yeah. pounding, you know what I mean? McCoy. Yeah. Pentatonics, Chick Corea, pentatonics with superimposed harmonies. We yeah. got, you know what I mean? We got, you know, we have all of this literature and all of these things that we have to get done for somebody to say, all right, through all that, find your own sound and leave space. Yep. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's a foreign language. Yeah. And then they try to legitimize people like Count Basie and Ama Jamal. Mm. And, and and Nat King Cole, people who were masters at leaving space yes. and say, that's how you should play. And say, yeah, but you've been force feeding me Herbie Hancock and yep. and, and our tandem since I was 10 years old. Yep. Now that I'm 30, now you're telling me that these are the people? You <laughs> 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 know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. It's I've really never hard. heard anybody say it like that, but it makes totally sense. Yeah. People don't want to admit that that's what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at a space, you, people say, okay, leave space, and then you play a Chopin etude where there's not one wrist. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's always mm -hmm. something happening. Yeah. Or you play Bach, he leaves no wrists. <laughs> <It's just laughs> a, I, mean, I mean, Baroque music is just like a stream of kind of, it's like a pattern that just keeps going and never ends. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's true, just yeah. like, man. And then you get to somebody like Philip Glass or, or Satie or whoever. You're starting to start to see space in there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Mm. I mean, our whole literature is just hands moving. Yeah. You know? I could be wrong. I don't know. So how do you how do you get you know, for me it's always that that um that image of uh, uh, of getting a foot in the door of your own playing, like now stop, leave that space, you know. And I had I had a pretty big year actually, um, maybe one and a half years ago of really taking on that that mission of of you know really being super aware of when I want to leave space. And at first I, mm. I had to force myself, like really forcing myself, like don't play, don't, don't do it, you know? <laughs> and I would, I would, um, I would uh, record myself 
mm-hmm. and uh, then r- listen. I've always recorded myself and listened to it, but I did it even more and listened to it while I was in this process of, you know, actually mostly worrying about what not to play, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I would listen to myself and um, in those moments where I felt like I, I really left a big pause, that moment went by like this when I listened to it, listened back to it, you know. But in mm-hmm. that moment, it sounded like like super long, you know. And with mm-hmm. me having problems with patience, you know, that was really a, even a personal topic for a long time, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, how do you how do you deal with it? Um, <laughs> how do I deal with it? Because I mean, you're talking to somebody who's been crucified for playing way too much. Uh, but. There's a there's a there's a mentality of just like you said, just take your hand off the keyboard. You know, mm. there's a mentality of maybe just focusing on one thing. Mm. Just saying like, OK, rather than rather than saying, OK, I'm not going to play. And just leave complete space and not play anything. Say, you know what? I am going to play. I'm going to play, but I'm going to only play with one line. I'm not going to I'm not going to pile it up with a bunch of chords. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to do a single line thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um I mean, you can in the pra- I guess in your experimenting time work on exercises where you leave certain bars out of rest. Yeah. You know, you can do a thing where like I mean, playing a tune over and over and over again. I think like 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 if you took like the the whole idea of like doing like a ballad and like playing it like as slow as you possibly can with no feels at all just pure mm. you know what I mean and just yep. getting used to the feeling of that in your hands cuz a lot of times we we just play and we don't realize we don't actually feel the sensation of a key coming up or how much mm-hmm. pressure we feel with the key going down, how much force we use. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like just sitting down and really using plan as a means of just meditating and meditating really on just just the amount of force and pressure you're putting on the notes when you're playing them. Um I also had a teacher, though, that told me, he said, you play a lot? Good. You're young. You're supposed to play a lot. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to be looking for the right thing to play. Mm. Then once you find the right thing to play, then, then you know what that is, and then you just yep. play that. <laughs> you settle on that. Mm. But I feel like a lot of times, especially for young players, we we spend so much of our time time trying to sound mature, trying to leave space, trying tr- just trying, mm. as opposed to just being like, nope, this is me right now. Yeah, take me as I am, just just as I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> and there's a certain liberty in that. And then once you allow to be free, then you'll find yourself using 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 tools like space that you never thought that you know in a yeah, way that you because never you have a diff- different perspective on it then 
coming exactly. from a different yeah mm-hmm. right and not thinking of space as as like nothing happening that's another thing right thinking of space is to, not as anything happening but there's something happening like how much is it how much time do we actually spend listening to ourselves while we play mm. like i had a teacher that told me one time he said your ears, your body has to be on stage, but your ears have to be in the audience. Yeah. So if your ears in the audience, then you only play what you want to hear yourself play. Yeah. Given the context of everybody around you. And then if you're thinking that everybody else wants to play as much as you do, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> With your ears in the audience, if you're playing a lot and the bass player and the drummer wants to play a lot, then somewhere, somehow, you got to kind of give in and just be like, let me let me really focus my energy and my attention on the bass player. And yep. just be like, what is it the bass player wants to say and what is it that he wants to come out? Hmm. And a lot of the times, that's what space does. Space leaves opportunity for other things to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's beautiful. So that, that that helps. Those between those five things, I think it just <laughs> we'll figure out an answer somehow, subway. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were just talking about the a little bit about the physical aspect of playing the piano. And mm -hmm. of course, that's also something that I'm curious about. Uh, how you actually <laughs> You know my, what at first the first question how I what I wrote down in my notes. Oh Lord, how do I do it? <laughs> how do I do what? <laughs> you know that's the first thing. Uh, uh, maybe not the first thing, but I hear you and I'm moved and I'm you know you move me and I'm I'm amazed and then it's just how does he do it? You know. Wow, and that's, that's um, nice. there's a lot of different aspects, of course, to this question. But I'm, yeah, I'm wondering how you do it, how you, <laughs> how you play the piano. But maybe to get a very, um, to get a little bit more specific, is uh, one of the aspects that I'm uh, curious about is, um, it feels to me you're very um, um, aware of when a note starts and when a note ends. Like when you play wow. a chord. Okay. <laughs> when you play a chord, I I know where it starts and I know where it ends. You know, me as a listener listening to you. Mm. It seems very clear, everything. Wow. Like that's, when that's... you lift when you lift the hand up and when you put it down, it seems very uh, very, very clear. Even if you play a lot of chords after each other, you know, mm -hmm. in a sequence, there's no yeah, question about about when the chord starts and when it ends. And that reminds me of something that um, uh, that I heard Chico Ria say is uh, the the seizing of a note is a rhythmical event. And I really like that quote, you know. And that reminds me a little bit of when I hear you, you know. Yeah, I, I just. I guess 
I guess it depends on how I. Okay, so in my little quirky mind, I've never ever viewed the piano as a piano. Mm-hmm. Um, I always viewed myself as a, I've always been fascinated with conductors, and like. Aside from that, they all have long hair and they're moving their hair around. <laughs> you know, aside from that, just like how how a little subtle movement can change an attack. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or how like the the whole idea that the orchestra is the conductor's instrument. You know, so I kind of look at myself as a conductor, and I look at the piano as an orchestra. Now, depending on what type of orchestra I'm using, it could be the Chicago Symphony, it could be, it could be a big band, it could be a, 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 a Brazilian ensemble, it could be, you know, what I mean, so many different, um, different orchestras, and they all each 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 voice is its own instrument, and each each registers its own instrument and timbre and sound. So what I'm hearing in my head is a horn section and how they attack as opposed to a pianist and how we just, you know. So I guess whatever I'm hearing translates to what happens to me physically. Mm. You know what I mean? So like if I'm hearing, do ah, so like ah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. As as opposed to being like, E flat, E flat, yeah. low A, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm yeah. not, I'm not thinking that, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So one side of it is that. And then another side of it is like the arc and the storyline reminded me of like a cartoon with, you know, like drawings and like colors and sketches. And I'm seeing this cartoon go and I'm kind of picking based on this, this picture or whatever, or the sequence, what notes I want to highlight or what, what colors I want to highlight. Mm. You know, what character's doing what at one time? And I try to display that through my through my body and how I articulate it. I don't know if I'm making sense at all by saying this. But I love it, man. I feel like that's, I guess, an answer to your question. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about instruments and colors. Hmm. And what those colors and instruments mean to me at that time, and how do I get that type of articulation through a vehicle such as the piano? Hmm. That makes sense. Great. Yeah. Hmm. So it's not even necessarily about accuracy. Accuracy comes out. It's not. It's not necessarily something that I'm trying to, to get. It's not something that I'm trying to achieve. So when you said that, it was just like, 
really? You think I'm accurate? You think I'm like clear? <laughs> you know, precise? I'm like, oh no, I don't. That's not. That's nowhere in my mind when I play. You know what okay. I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, but maybe it's just something that that just comes out. Mm. You know. Mm. And I was, I was. Oh man. I was looking at just just some like documentary of Basquiat and just about like how like even though some just like the intention behind it not just necessarily not necessarily the notes of, of, of what he drew but it was how intentional he was with a brushstroke mm. you know what I mean I think part of clarity is intention. Mm. If you, and like you can, also. intention and conviction, like you believe that this thing, in, in a certain type of belief, like you, I believe that when I do this, this is going to be right here, bam, and there's no disputing it. So where you, does when, this come from? It, where does it come from? You know. Um, it it's not coming from, from having played it before because you're making stuff up in the moment. Right. It, it, it comes from, again, I think the picture that you see, or the picture that I see mm -hmm. in my head, or the sound that I'm hearing, the instrument, or the picture that I'm seeing. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm literally m mirroring what it is that I'm seeing and hearing at mm -hmm. that moment. From its like most, it's from its most granular level, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, tot. What does tot sound like? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's also part of ear training. It's not necessarily just okay being able to say okay that note's an E flat or well, I had this train go by and it's a diminished chord. It said with with these notes. It is also ear training is also like articulation and dynamic levels, being able to respond and hear that quickly, mm. and be able to adjust to that and fit into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ear training, the training your ear to hear detail. Yeah. As quick as you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not just the mm -hmm. note, but the detail of the note, the, the skeleton of the note. You know? Yeah, it makes sense because a lot of people are getting caught up with transcription and getting the notes right but this yep. is usually where the the journey only starts you know <laughs> oh yeah i mean I, i i did a master class yesterday on zoom and uh they asked me about transcribing he said well how many solos have you transcribed because you know i've transcribed like 50 solos and this i said i've only <laughs> transcribed maybe honestly for real for real i've only transcribed maybe two or three solos same here. Yeah. Because I really, I mean, and I'm like, well, I never really saw a point. I honestly never really saw a point. Yeah. I, when would you play it? <laughs> huh? You know, when would you play the whole solo? When, when, when's the use for playing the whole solo, you know? Other than a technical exercise, unless you yeah. are, unless you're analyzing the solo, mm. unless you understand what the rhythm section is doing unless you 
are figuring out the hidden details and the inner workings of the type of lines and the line structure. And unless you have gained a serious, strong opinion about the solo, you're not really transcribing. I had a student yeah. that asked me, he said, so I transcribed this solo. He was like, good. What do you hate about it? Give me three things that you hate about the solo. <laughs> and it was like, hate about it? I said, yeah, if you can't tell me three things you hate about the solo, then you're not doing your homework. Mm. <laughs> you're not finding your voice through that person. Mm. You're, not, you're not. And the whole point of it, I think, I could be wrong, but I think the whole point of transcribing, if you're going to do it, is to try to see yourself through the eyes of the person that you're transcribing and studying. Yep. So if you can't see what the hell um, Lester Young is trying to tell you about yourself when you're transcribing it, be it the things that you like that he does or the things that you don't like that he does, what mm -hmm. you would do differently and would it work, and would it work, then <laughs> you're not doing a good job. You're not mm -hmm. learning anything. You're not learning anything about you. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to hear another Lester Young solo. <laughs> they yeah. already had that, you know. It's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually more concerned with, uh, you know, I just pick little things, super little things, like little things that work well and that my, my heart gravitates towards. And these, I, I feel that these are the moments that tell me something about me, you know, yeah, what man. I want to sound like. When I'm moved, that's, I should right. investigate that moment, you know just yeah. that moment and the whole solo would give me a lot of work and maybe i would learn something but i will learn so much more if i would just gravitate towards the stuff that that really moves me you know right and that will give you much more and those and leaving room for those things to change mm -hmm. and you know what i mean because what 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 like there's one solo that I remember transcribing, and I listened, and, and when I transcribed it, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Can you say nah. what it was? No, nah, I'm not gonna tell you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in after trouble. this, after after this conversation. After this, yeah. But then I listened back to it, and I was like, the parts that I like about the solo, okay. The parts that I hated about the solo are the parts that I actually like now. Huh. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And those parts now I'm trying to figure out, well, why did I like that? Why do I like that now? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I like it so much, how can I make it me? Can I move it up a half step? Can I play it backwards? Do it have yeah. the same effect? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, can I make the long note short? You know what I mean? Could I expand yeah. the rhythmic phrasing? Can I do, you know what I mean? That's You can spend years and years off of one solo. <laughs> yeah. Why transcribe 55 solos that you have no? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad I met somebody that... that, that <laughs> I don't feel like a loner anymore. <laughs> Thank I'm you, with you, man. <laughs> Thank you, Pablo. <laughs> Thank you, man. We were talking about that clarity and yeah. transcribing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I'm curious about is, and maybe you don't think about that uh, as well, but still, 
I'm interested in how you use the pedal, the pedals, mm -hmm. because I, f I find it very, it's, it's a very personal way how you do it. And I can't really tell how you do it, but I'm interested. Um, that's so funny. <laughs> so weird. Um, that's something that I'm really have been investigating in the last year or so. Just, just trying to get the pedal more into my plan. Mm. Um, looking at the pedal not just as a sustain, but also as a volume. Mm. Yep. Um, and incorporating the middle pedal and like trying to figure out what colors does that invoke? What does yeah. that do? Because that's a pedal that that we all run away from. We stab on that right pedal and then we hold that that left pedal down because we think that it's gonna. Because the piano's not really in tune. Yeah, and yeah, it's gonna, yeah. You know, that left pedal for a long time has been a crush to me. And I'm just now starting to realize that it's just an effect and kind of letting go of that. Yeah. You know, and using it. You know, for an effect. Um, as opposed to a crutch and, you know, just, you know, if the piano's out of tune, it's out of tune. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, that's something that I'm, 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 I'm growing more and I'm more and more starting to fall in love with the middle pedal yeah. much more than the, it's than a special the, one. Yeah. I, I'm really, really in love with that one now. And for some reason, depending on the piano, the metal, the middle piano makes the piano sound more clear hmm. to me. It makes the sustain more clear. Because if you think about it, that right pedal lifts all of the felt up. Yeah. So in all the overtones, when you hit the middle pedal, it only lifts the ones <laughs> that you're playing. Sound, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, for me, it's just a little bit clear. I don't know, but I've been messing with it in, in the, you know, the different gradations of it. Maybe I haven't figured it out right yet, mm. you know. Do you have some, some role models for, for, for that aspect of playing? Um, one of the first people that really, uh, of playing with the middle pedal? Playing with the, all the pedals, you know, in, in, you know. One of the one of the first people that really kind of made me aware of it was Marcus Roberts. Yeah. Marcus Roberts, Danilo Perez. In fact, yeah, Danilo Gonzalo. Yeah. Um. Uh, Keith has a specific Bud. Bud Powell has a very interesting way that he uses the pedal. What's your take on it? Um. One time I played with uh, Charles McPherson. Yeah. And he told me, he said, everybody's trying to get Bud Powell's sound, but people don't realize that part of Bud Powell's sound was the pedal. Interesting. He said part of it, and, and not the soft pedal. We're talking about the right pedal. He would, he would, he saw, he said he saw it. He sat there and saw Bud play, and he saw how much he used the pedal. It was shocking because he used it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, well, with that in mind, how the hell did he use it? Because you hear him and you're like, 
you know, the last thing you hear is a right pedal being slammed up and down like this. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> you know, and I, and he's not talking about ballads. He's talking about up tempos. Yeah. You because know. when you do it like this on an up tempo song, it it brings the notes to to breathe more and to yeah, exactly. you know exactly. embellish certain notes and you get more like a kind of kind of a singable quality out of it. Right. That's and nice. that's the, yeah. that that also goes back to the whole idea of space. When you realize that there's a sustain to the note, you want that mm. note to ring, so you'll leave space so that note can ring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. You know. But anyway. Um. Yeah, man, it is it's 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 something that I'm investigating, and I'm 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 really kind of going to different piano players and seeing how they use how they use it. Mm. Like uh, Andrew Andrew Hill, listening to him, listening to Monk and how he used it, mm -hmm. listening to Herbie Nichols and how he used the pedal, even yep. even Count Basie, mm. even Basie and like. Nat and how those guys used it was was very very interesting. Nat King Cole, Brad, Fred, you know. Fred has a. I feel like sometimes when I watch Fred play, Fred Hirsch has a formula in how he uses the soft, how he how he uses the pedal. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he'll start off with the soft pedal and maybe midway through the melody he'll start to lift it. And maybe once the solo kind of gets midway through, he's, he's his foot is completely off. Yeah, but if you watch him, it's kind of like a formula that he's kind of followed. I don't know if he, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but watching him, that's something that I noticed. Hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And Horowitz, and I mean the classical oh, pianist, yeah. and Horowitz, and Mark Andre Hamlin, and and Martha, hmm. Ockridge, just, 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 you know. Yeah, just how they used it. And then there are people you hear that don't even use I never practiced using the pedal until recently. Yeah. You know, I always practice with the pedal, not even using it at all. I just read uh, um, in a book about uh, Arturo Benedetti Michelangeli, uh, the great oh, classical um, piano player. And uh, it was written about him. And so all these guys who knew him would tell a little bit about him and There's this one guy who studied with him for a while, and he and he's talking about what he's got from him, and he's talking about using the the left pedal and having an exercise where he would hit the like a, like a bass note, you know, very low note, hit it as hard as you can, and then play 20 chords with like 10% pedal, you know, take the sustain pedal, and have that low note still ringing. So hit a low note and then have the right pedal um, um, put down full, you know? Uh -huh. So you have the, the, the no uh, register note and then you right. would play a chord maybe soft, more softly and then lift up the, the, the sustain pedal a little bit. Okay. So the chord is gone after that. The but the low notes, yeah, the low notes the still ringing. Yeah, and that's that's what you do, uh, you know, consecutively, you know. I'm gonna try that. That's I'm gonna try that today. Thank <laughs> you. That's. <laughs> I got well, it from that try. book, and and it it, it it really amazed me because I was like, I never thought about that pedal in that way, you know. I mean, I I thought about 
just using it a little bit while you play lines and stuff because it you know and i've been doing this also quite a yeah. bit but uh mm -hmm. people you know, actually when i was starting out i would i would do it and people would be what, what are you doing with the pedal and i'm i don't know i just i just i thought it <laughs> yeah that's what you do uh, very yeah. unconscious uh but but now this thing really blew my mind uh, and hmm. when you hear, I'm sure you'll you'll get it right away. And 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 when you hear that sound, it just sounds so weird and so so unnatural for the piano, because like yeah. ah, it stays there, and there's stuff on top. You like it becomes more like an orchestra. Yeah. Wow. That's hip. I'm gonna do it, man. Thank you for that. That's hip. <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, man, that's what this stuff is good for, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's well, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. Tell me, uh, tell me how it was to um, to learn from Fred Hirsch. You know, we just talked about him a little bit, but you know, when I hear when I hear your music and when I hear your playing, I can hear tons of different influences, but I hear you first. You know, mm. but um, I like it. I like it when I hear influences. You know. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can, uh, because I like Fred a lot, you know, I've, I've been influenced by him as well. And I, I love his music and his playing. Mm -hmm. So I can hear, I can hear a little bit of, of his influence uh, on oh, your sure. playing. Um, mm -hmm. Like when I listen to Aria, that song from, from the record. Yeah, that, I, was... <laughs> I, I think about him, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, what I was it like to, it. to learn from him? He, um, Fred Hurst is very, um, encouraging. He's very honest. Fred's the type of teacher that he will never sit and he will never play for you in a lesson. He'll sit and watch you play and then say, yeah, I don't like the way your feet look. I don't like the way your hands look. I don't like the how, I don't like your seating position. And I don't like the fact that you're not moving when you play. You know, he's very, he's very much about the physical connection, your body as it relates to the instrument. Mm. Um, if he likes something, he will tell you that he loves it. If he doesn't like something, he will tell you that he doesn't like it. <laughs> and he'll tell you why he doesn't like it. And he doesn't shy away from the fact that he doesn't like it and he has an opinion about it. And for me, that's very, very helpful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To to study with somebody that's not that 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 cares about you enough to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean and will will and still have patience with you while you're trying to figure out what it is that you that they're trying to tell you yeah you know what i mean with as little effort as possible like i said he will never play he never plays for me and in, 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 he never played for me in our lessons together hmm. you know it's been a while since i've had a lesson with him but yeah he no he never he'll just sit and watch you yeah that's what I, I saw I learned, when I wasn't on on a workshop of his. He didn't play at all. Yeah. He just wanted other other people to play. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and he gave me some he gave me a lot of things to think about as far as like just the whole mental like how to mentally prepare to play <clears throat> like for you know the idea of lacking confidence I, I struggle with that. That's something that I, I totally struggle with as a pianist, or as a musician, just confidence. And, you well, know, it doesn't in, sound like it. We talked about it before. It doesn't sound it, like it. But it's, <laughs> but it's the truth. And one lesson literally was me practicing bowing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, he was just like. <laughs> and then sit down. And then stand up again, bow, and then walk off. I practiced that for Fred Hurst for like a half, like a maybe a, a good half of the lesson. We talked about that. Wow. So what's his take on He, bowing? Um, his take on bowing was what I got from it was the idea of just being grateful for the opportunity to play. And the amount of gratefulness that you have should outweigh the lack of confidence that you have. It's like, I've been given an opportunity at this moment to sit behind the piano. Yeah. That should outweigh, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. Are they going to laugh at me? Or mm -hmm. there's other piano players here. Or they said, no. You have an opportunity to sit behind the instrument. And you hit and, and, and you sit down and you play and then you get up and you receive whatever you give back. Mm. That's what that bow is once you get up. It's like, I've given you everything I had. What you give me back is what I gave you. And I'm grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. We sometimes you know, forget what a bow is, you know. Yeah. We forget what that is. We forget what that what what that message what that message not only what it sends to the audience, and what it should send to you, mm. as a as a human being who has been blessed with an opportunity to play. Yep. You know, we get so caught up in what we didn't play <laughs> a lot of the time. Yep. I forgot to play this. Why did I do that this? Yeah, yeah, yeah Just, right. No. This is a moment we played. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Tomorrow, the board gets erased clean. Yep. And if we live to see tomorrow, we get to do it all over again. Mm. Hopefully better. Wow, that's deep. Yeah. That was a lesson. That was a lesson. I think I'll never forget. Yeah. Mhm. Mm so he he came to a gig of yours and saw you. How how you take a bow? No. No, it was funny. I was just telling him about the confidence thing. Yeah. And he was just like, "Said this is what you need to work on." Wow. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna work on this now. Bowing. <laughs> Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's gonna work on Bob. And I was like, wow. That's very, very that was that was an enlightening lesson because mm -hmm. it took me out of my it took me out of me for a second. You know, 
And yeah. it kind of helped me realize that, damn, these people in there hopefully don't want to see me fail. <laughs> they always, yeah. everybody that's coming and is paying money wants me to do well. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I better just do well. <laughs> yeah. And focus on that. And if they like something, they'll let you know, you know. How how do you see other people's bows now or after this lesson? Are you more aware of it, how people do I, it? Yeah, I'm much more aware. I'm much more aware of just not even necessarily a bowing, but how they how they communicate how they feel to be on stage and, and not to take the bandstand for granted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you don't necessarily have to do, like, a full-on, straight-up bow. You know what I mean? But yep. if you show up with a certain type of level of humility and respect for the instrument, for the people you plan with, and for the audience, it comes off in how you speak. Yeah. It comes, it comes off in how you sit when you play. It yeah, comes, language. yeah, you know what I mean? All of those things. It comes off in how you walk off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, something as simple as a a smile will carry you a long way. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, or like a polite bow and just like being appreciative and just saying thank you. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that was very hard for me to do. And it still is very hard, but I'm working through it. I'm working through it. Hmm. I was always amazed uh, by by in a way now that we're talking about it, it made me think of Wayne's uh, bow. Yeah. And uh, maybe it's an age thing also, because last time I saw him was two years ago or something. And I think he only bowed with his head. Not yeah. with his whole body. It was just. Yeah. And, but totally sincere and totally. It, it it was like he would do like a full, you know, with his head right, to, yeah. the, to the ground. Yeah. You know, no. really showing respect, you know, and, mm -hmm. and how he did it. You know, it was just with his head. Yeah. It's interesting, man. Um. how I mean I grew up I grew up in church and there's a saying that you say do it whatever you do you do as unto God right so yeah. like like as unto God could mean like it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to it's like showing like a state of reverence or a state of prayer every time you do something yeah. you know Something as simple as like passing a salt shaker is like an act of reverence and respect could carry you like it's like a form of prayer. Right. So like this is like almost like a prayer. You know what I mean? A yeah. bow, a sincere bow is almost like a prayer. Yeah. The amount of space that you leave is almost like a prayer. You know, the way you attack a note is almost like a prayer. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. 
So if you if if everybody did everything when they're playing as if it were a prayer, how different we would play. And less ego, I suppose. <laughs> much less ego. Much less ego. Yep. Much less ego, much more sincerity. I was at the Jewish Art Museum in in New York and there was a um there was this tapestry that we saw that I remember seeing and it was humongous. And 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 it somebody said in it I was in, in like a in like a lecture about it and it said it took that person 10 years to just work on one tapestry. At least 10 15 years to work on this one big gigantic ta- tapestry. Mm. I was like we don't spend a year we don't spend longer than five minutes on one song when we learn it. <laughs> if we took a tune and spent 15 years trying to learn a tune, we'd know it. Yeah, <laughs> we would know it. We would know it like the back of our hands, and then, and we wrote, uh, we wrote pieces that were based off one tune. That's a thread. Yep. That's a whole catalog. Patience. Yeah, that's a whole catalog based on one song. Like if you took all the things you are and you spent 15 years working on all the things you are and you wrote 15 years worth of material that was based on all the things you are, you know what I mean? <laughs> that makes me a, think of Lee Konitz a little bit. Yeah, you know? that's 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 very that's an interesting artistic view, at least, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, can we talk about playing solo? Okay. That's the time when I'm, where there's the most amount of voices in my head. And it's (laughs) getting, it's getting, it's getting better, but yeah. And you know, after I play, I usually, (laughs) I always used to say, now I'm playing solo all the time because we're we're at home, you know? But right. I used to say I usually just play solo when there's a great piano and there's a great fee because I don't like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so the possibilities are rare, you know. But once they, they are, I'm building towards that moment and like, shit, I'm going to do it on my own and I don't have my trio guys with me and I feel alone and you know, feel alone in the in the green room, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just play the set, and then you're alone in the room and just sitting there with all your doubt, and you know, and then yeah. you have to go there out, go out again. Um, and every time I see, um, and there are certain things that have helped me over the years, like re- realizing that when I play an intro, I, I'm fine. You know, when I play an intro to a to a trio song, I'm fine, and that's playing piano solo music. You know, that's fine. That's it, actually. I could just yeah. play like that when I'm playing solo. Um, mm-hmm. And after each gig, I feel like um, I should maybe go on tour playing solo. And th- maybe then it would get better, you know, because mm-hmm. it gets very better with each gig, you know. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, that's the that's the moment where there's the most amount of voices in my head. And I'm wondering how, because I love how you play solo piano oh. and uh I, w- I want to know how what your process is. Um, it's definitely shifted over the years. I think right now I'm kind of beginning to kind of 
just go go to the piano just realizing that there's no there's no real pressure to do anything <laughs> i had an argument once it was just like well when we play a solo piano it means that we have to be all of these instruments yeah that missing <laughs> at once you know what i mean and they were like why yeah it's like why he said why are you always putting that type of pressure on yourself there's no pressure to do anything there's no real pressure to do anything. There's no, that's not even a real pressure to play the melody of the song you're trying to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so when you, when you have that type of freedom, it's just like, okay, oh, well, um, I'm going to play my ideal. I'm not going to even play the melody. I'm just going to solo on it. <laughs> yeah. And solo on it for... God knows however long I feel like it. And if I feel like playing a melody, I can. But maybe in the middle of the song. Maybe I can hint at the melody. Yeah. No. Maybe just maybe take a long intro. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? There's no real rule. And for me when I when I when I when I feel the most comfortable is when I told myself that. There's no yeah. reason to have any type of pressure. And the feeling that Maybe I'll play and nobody would like it. Or if I put it out and nobody would buy it, used to depress me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm like, if nobody buys it, I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? If Let there's me no to do anything, you can do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. You know? And for me, it's just like, oh, duh. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. Then I'll just play and, have, and 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 just create games with myself. Make the make the make the solo piano performance be an extension of the practice room. Yeah. And like anything else, invite them into your practice room. Invite them into your living room and just work stuff out in real time. Mm. There's nothing. I mean, not not really. I'm not talking about like slow things down and like we yeah, would do yeah, it yeah. but i mean like even if you like focus on like one small thing that you're trying to achieve mm. like when you're practicing it like when you when you do a solo piano it's like okay uh for this thing i'm only gonna play the melodies on the head out or like I mean, something small, like, or like, I'm going to focus on using more pedal. Yep. <laughs> or th- I mean, you know, when you kind of shift your focus on this and start focusing on something else that is related to this, yep. somehow it, it helps. takes care of itself, yeah. Everything takes care of itself. Yep. You know what I mean? Totally, yeah. That helps me. Mm. Yeah. Helps me at least become more comfortable with that, the idea of playing solo piano. Yeah. You know? I I heard an interview of you um, talking about uh, how Jason Moran helped you with the concept of, of playing solo piano and opened up new worlds for you. And mm-hmm. the interviews, right after you said this, went somewhere else. And... I was like, I want to know more. <laughs> you know, I'm interested, you know. Jason 
Well, I had never really played solo piano before for Manhattan School. Uh, when I was at Oberlin, my teacher, we did we just played melodies kind of solo piano, not really a whole lot. Uh, but usually he would put on uh, either Band in the Box or Jamie Abersoll, and we play along with the track minus the piano. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but Jason, we didn't have Band in the Box. And I kind of had a, a thing when I would play solo piano with Jason where everything would be like kind of like tight. I would have everything just kind of like in this middle range a lot. And Jason's whole thing is just like, look, I know you like playing big lush chords in here. That's nice. <laughs> I want you to think about your hands being a lot more open and using and think about using extremities of the piano. You have a you have two whole sections that you never explored. Yep. What are those sections? Um also, how much stride piano do you listen to? I was like, oh, I've heard of it, you know, New Orleans, blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to start checking out Fats Waller in here. We're going to start listening to Monk, and we're going to start listening to those people. Yeah. And we're going to start just investigating this instrument. And his whole process was if you can play the solo piano, you can play any piano. You know, he got him being a student of you know, Jackie Bayard and those type yeah. of, and, and Buhal Richard Abrams and those people who are like really heavy in solo piano playing. Yeah. Brought a lot of that information in. Different exercises, then different ideas of voicings as far as using sales, things that he learned from Steve Coleman and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or those type of, that, that whole type of mentality of taking a skeleton of a chord and just you know what I mean? Not look. You see C major seven. You don't have to play every note. You just play. You could just play A and E. Who yep. cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those types of things. Or, or, or D and E. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just things like that. And, and playing and soloing off cells as opposed to soloing off of a harmony. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think. Uh, there's some players who do it, you know, that that do it really, really well. Like, um, like uh, VJ does it really well. Uh, I think David Vareles talks about it. Um, uh, Craig Taborn, people like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a Chris Davis. There's there's some there's some monster piano players that really know about that a lot better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Jason definitely hit me to that that type of thinking, and it really kind of helped to expand my thinking of piano from like such a narrow place into a much more yeah odd orchestral place. Mm-hmm. And then taking yeah. weird exercises, he would. I remember one time he was like, "Here's uh, the entertainer. You have 15 minutes to come up with an arrangement." You gave us all the sheet music, and we had to come up with a whole solo piano arrangement of it. And then he critiqued. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did stuff wow. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> and um, I, I, I suppose that the topic of voice leading 
is also something that you've spent a lot of a lot of time with, you know, over the years. Yeah, uh, yeah. Since my, I guess, since I started playing in church, it's kind of always kind of been embedded in me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, my mom, my, everyone in my family sings, you know, and uh, my introduction to music was going to choir rehearsals mm. and listening to, you know, people teach parts. And I always I always gravitated to the middle the middle voices. You know, I always liked the alto and the tennis more than I liked the sopranos and the basses. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess my 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 affinity for the middle voices and wanting to bring those middle voices out kind of grew from that. Yeah. That makes sense. Because everything, mm-hmm. when you play something, there's nothing that just stays there and will not be treated or anything. Everything goes somewhere. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. It's, it's like a melody. It's like a line unto itself, you know. Mm. It, it's just like, you know, harmony is, harmony is multiple, is a line against a line. Yeah. To me. You know, I mean, Bach showed us that. You know, the great Baroque composer showed us that it's multiple melody lines stacked on top of each other. Like a groove is multiple rhythmic lines stacked on top of each other. Mm. You know, and just orchestrated in different registers. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just try to, I just try to think of that mentality. You know, sometimes, you know. I'll say, okay, I want my I want my cellos to ring out here. I want I want my I want my tenor section to come out here. All right, viola and tenors duo here, you know, do like this kind of shape. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just things like that. Yeah. Wow, man, I think we have covered a lot of ground in this uh, yeah. conversation, I'll, and uh, I'll like listening to Thank- you, <laughs> very enlightening. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it.